Amen. Right, Matthew chapter 17, we're up to, um, and we'll just do a, a recap as usual of Matthew chapter 16 from last week. Uh, we looked at the Sadducees, who were basically like our kind of modern day Jewish sceptics that we see all over the place. Um, they, they basically deny anything miraculous. They try and sound so sort of rational and intellectual and they just kind of know better. Um, however, what was interesting is that they still came along with the Pharisees, didn't they? So they seemed to reject all those things, but they came with the, with the Pharisees to attack Jesus Christ. And obviously we see, you know, we looked in, in, in the book of Acts when Paul kind of, you know, stirs up that strife between them. However, they were still happy to come along together to attack the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, then Jesus warned the disciples about the false doctrine of both of these groups. And we looked at, then at that famous verse uh, 18, which is, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And how the it at the end of that verse is referring to the rock, Jesus Christ, not the church. The gates of hell not prevailing against him because he rose from the dead. And I think so many churches and, and so many people have been blindsided because of, sadly, the false doctrine of Jesus Christ not going to hell. And then kind of people have never really looked at it for what it says. And it's Jesus Christ where the gates of hell didn't prevail against him. Um, Peter then uh, was, was told of the responsibility that he's being given, the keys of heaven. And he rebuked Jesus, didn't he? And he was rejecting the things of God and he was rebuke, rebuking Jesus with that. We looked at that and, and you know, ways that kind of can apply to us in our life. And then um, Jesus then talked about denying self, leaving your old life behind and finished the chapter of verse 28, which is verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And that's referring to this event that we're about to read now, where it goes straight into verse one then of this chapter which says and after six days Jesus taketh Peter James and John his brother and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart and was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as a light I'd like to pray before we continue father thank you for your word thank you for this great chapter of the bible um, starting with just this this amazing vision here that um, just help me to preach accurately now help me to preach the whole of this chapter as you'd want it preached lord help everyone to have attentive ears to um, just minimize the distractions lord help everyone to stay just wide awake and and focused on what your word's got to say to them in Jesus name pray all of this amen okay so what's going on here He's just said that some of them will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, Mark 9.1 worded it, the kingdom of God come with power. And Luke 9.27 says, till they see the kingdom of God. Because it's all the same thing, yeah? The kingdom of God is his kingdom, isn't it? Because he is God. Um, this is basically a glimpse of the coming kingdom, the kingdom to come. He, he takes the inner circle, and it seems that Angie didn't make the cut this time, up into a high mountain and he's transfigured or transformed, yeah? His face was shining like the sun, and, and obviously we're not talking about an English winter here, yeah? So this was some real shining. His clothing was bright white as the light. Mark 9.3, the parallel passage says, and his raiment became shining exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. I mean, this is like 
an amazing sight, isn't it, to see something like that? A fuller being someone who washed and whitened clothes. So this is like, imagine, do you remember those old, like, sort of dazzle purse or purcell adverts where they used to have, like, the grubby old, like, for some reason, the mechanic who's wearing bright white clothes for some reason, you know? And <laughs> he's got, like, oil and grease all over it, and then they've got the before, and then he puts it in the wash, and it comes out, and it's, like, glistening, and you're like, whoa, on the TV. Think of that, but, but multiplied by 10, yeah? So you just like, just sh sheer dazzling white. And um, uh, it said bright white, exceeding white to snow. And, and this is Jesus Christ in his full glory. So uh, turn to Revelation chapter three though, because Daniel 7, 9 says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The white raiment represents sinlessness, doesn't it? That's the idea of it. It's, it's the, the white is a representation of sinlessness, something that we also will receive once we get rid of our sinful flesh. That's the whole point in the white, the white raiment that we see here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5, which says, He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. How do you overcome? By believing on Christ. First John 5, 5 says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. See, you're overcoming the world. You're overcoming the lies. You're overcoming the false doctrine. You're overcoming the work salvation in its various different forms by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's believing the gospel. That's believing that he died, was buried and rose again to pay for your sins. That's believing the truth about Jesus Christ. Yeah? And that's how you overcome. That's the only way you will overcome. That's the only way you do overcome is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not of any works it's not you know the false prophets would love to say oh, see you've got to overcome you've got to like persevere till the end no overcome is is who is he that overcometh well but he that believeth that jesus is the son of god okay um so jesus christ was obviously already sinless yeah he's god and in his full glory he's clothed in in this this raiment white as a light so go back to matthew 17 we will obviously one day have that white raiment as well um in the meantime we've got to battle with this flesh jesus christ was sinless so but this is a picture of him in his kingdom it said in verse 3 and behold there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him now Elias being just a Greek version of Elijah he, he's talking to these Old Testament prophets Moses and Elijah now I don't believe myself that they were suddenly teleported there or whatever you know God put them there in one way or another I, I, this is, is described as a vision in verse 9 so it is a vision and yeah, they could have been there. I don't know. It said, it said, you know, in verse nine, that it's a vision. Basically, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. So it appeared to them. So it seems like a vision of heaven they're seeing here. It says in verse four, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Now, he basically, a tabernacle is like a tent, some sort of dwelling. He's thinking about, he, he's basically suggesting making them tents. And he, I think he's just kind of doesn't really know what to say. You know, sometimes you just kind of, some people are like this, you just kind of blurt out. You just don't really know what to say. You're a bit kind of at a loss. Peter's one of those guys that has to fill gaps, doesn't he? You know, some people are. Some people can just keep deadly silent, you know, and you can, and, and sometimes they make you kind of talk a bit. Like sometimes you like want to fill gaps. I think Peter's one of those guys. He's just looking at this thinking, someone's got to say something. Uh, let me make some tents for you guys, you know? 
Well, it says in verse five, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Can you imagine experiencing that? That must have been absolutely amazing. These men experienced that. Now, you could say that God is making a point of lifting him above the other. He did just say, oh, let me make three tabernacles for you. It's almost like he's got them on a par, isn't he? And God's like, well, this is my beloved son. Yeah, he's kind of making a point of who really is the one that we should be focusing on here. Because they did appear in, in, in glory as well. I think it says in one of, the other, one of the other gospels as well. So they're obviously in their glory in this picture as well. They're in their glorified bodies as well. So he's just like, wow, let me make tabernacles for everyone. And then God's like, this is my beloved son. You know, he's making that point of Jesus Christ here. Verse six says, when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And that's kind of, you can imagine, a pretty normal response to hearing God the Father talking to you. Yeah, falling on your face, sore afraid. It kind of is the opposite to the Morgan Freeman version of God, isn't it? It's not, you know, just this kind of cool, just cuddly guy. You're just like, whoa, you know, this is my beloved. You know, falling on your face, shaking in fear. Amazing, yeah? And Jesus came and touched them inside and said, arise and be not afraid. And you know where I was looking at this verse, I was just thinking, it's, Jesus Christ is the only reason we don't have to be afraid, isn't it? Jesus Christ is able to come to you and say, arise and be not afraid. You're able to, to be not afraid of God the Father, of, of, of God basically in what should be a righteous judgment for us, you know, lowly sinners. However, Jesus Christ is a mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men and man, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the reason that we don't have to be afraid and he was able to come and touch them and say, Arise and be not afraid. Verse 8 says, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. So, I don't think, you know, I don't think they just suddenly climbed back up to heaven in that time. I just think it was a vision, something amazing for them to witness, you know, to see this, to see this vision of... Of, of the coming glory, the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them saying, tell the vision to no man until the son of man be risen again from the dead. So, you know, for me though, the, the greatest thing about this vision, and look, there, there are many things you could probably, I'm sure there are many pictures of this, you know, that are in this story and things you could kind of see into. I've heard kind of different things preached, but I'm not really convicted about any of them. And there's much I want to preach in this chapter as well. For me, this vision is amazing, okay? It's just an amazing thing. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ coming kingdom, you know, when he's going to rule and reign and he's in his glory. It's a glory. just an amazing thing for them to see. However, the most amazing thing is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. Now you turn to 2 Peter in chapter 1. Obviously, we're going to be coming back to Matthew 17. He's seen Jesus in his glory. The long since dead Elijah and Moses. He heard the Father speaking out of the cloud. I mean, this is a pretty amazing thing to see, wasn't it? This, I don't think this is the sort of thing that you'd forget. It's going to be up there, isn't it? And up there for your kind of, for what you're going to really hang your hat on about everything you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, yeah? But this is what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and from verse 15. 2 Peter 1, 15. Moreover, I will endeavour that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. So he's talking about after he dies. He says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. And there are a lot of cunningly devised fables out there, aren't there? But he, we haven't followed those, he's saying, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
So he saw, he saw the, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in his vision. He's an eyewitness of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's what we just read about, yeah? And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Okay, so he's saying, yeah, we witnessed it. We witnessed this, yeah? This voice coming out of heaven, we witnessed all of this. However, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He's saying, yes, we were there. We saw it. We heard it. However, do you know what's... Do you know what's even better than that? The word of prophecy. What's the word of prophecy? The word of God. That's a more sure word of prophecy. Saying, you know, and, and here he's really talking about, because he's talking about men of old time. He's talking about the prophecies of men like Moses, of men like David, of men like Isaiah, and, and all the others. And, he's, and, and they're the evidence. They're the evidence, really. Beyond this, this is a vision, because people can tell you, I saw this, I felt this, I... Look, that's not the evidence. The evidence is the prophecies being fulfilled, those tons and tons, because Jesus Christ literally fulfilled so many prophecies. And yeah, it, it, it's such an amazing thing, the Word of God, isn't it? Because once you're saved and you're reading the Bible and you're seeing these little prophecies, it all pieces together. But before that, you can see how a skeptic could be like, well, is that really talking about Jesus? Oh, well, you can't grasp it at straws there, that, that kind of little verse there and that verse there and that verse there. But once you just put it all together and just see Jesus Christ is filling tons and tons and tons of prophecy, it's amazing, isn't it? And that's a more sure word of prophecy. That's, that's what it rests upon. It doesn't rest upon a vision of someone. And, and nowadays, it doesn't rest upon a vision of someone. So all these people are like, I saw this, and Jesus Christ, I got saved because Jesus Christ appeared to me. You liar. You're a liar, and you're not saved. They're never saved. <laughs> are they? No? I got saved because, you know, Jesus Christ came to me in a dream, and I saw him, and, you know, he looked like, a, you know, a hippie. And he was floating around in a dress. You liar, you didn't get saved. Would you? Oh, okay, so, you know, is there any way you... Well, as long as I don't, you know, do any bad sins. It's just all that nonsense, isn't it? But, but what's the, it's the word of prophecy, isn't it? It's the word of prophecy. And that's what we're, what we're saved by anyway, isn't it? It's the word of God. Okay, so why is that? Because they were speaking as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That was what it said in verse 21. It says, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man... But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's why all every single one of their prophecies is fulfilled because they were speaking by the Holy Ghost because they couldn't have done it otherwise. Okay, go back to Matthew 17. Okay, in verse 10. Matthew 17 and verse 10 says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias must first come? So, now the scribes were referring to Malachi's prophecy in Malachi 4. So if you turn to Malachi chapter 4. Now what's interesting is that Malachi's prophecy refers specifically to the day of the Lord, which is the second coming of Christ. So Acts 2.20 says, Acts 2.20, you're turning to Malachi 4, says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And no, there's not a secret little half coming a few years early, earlier, okay? This is the coming day of the Lord, Yeah. Okay, so Malachi chapter 4, uh, verse 5, says this. 
So we've just seen about the day of the Lord. That's the second coming of Christ still to come. Malachi 4 and verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of their fathers to the children, the heart of their children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse. So this first coming of Christ wasn't the great and dreadful day of the Lord, was it? The day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ, which is why many believe that one of the two witnesses in the end times will be Elijah, okay? One of the reasons they believe that, and obviously because he, he, he never died either, did he? He just eventually was taken up into heaven. So many people say Elijah, some people think Moses, because this might be a picture of that. Other people maybe think, you know, it could be Enoch, you know, again, he was like, he, he walked with God and he was not, you know, because God took him. Well, we're not going to get into that now, but the, the, the scribes here were looking for Elijah, and it's talking about the second coming. However, there is still some truth to coming before the first coming of Christ as well. Because Jesus Christ even says that here. So turn to Luke 1 though. Because John the Baptist did come, as far as I'm concerned, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now however kind of that works, I'm not really sure exactly. And a lot of people have different views on this. Whether it was Elijah in some sort of reincarnation or whatever it is. I, you know, and God can do anything so, you know, it's not... That, that we're suddenly believing in some sort of weird Buddhism or something like that. However, it did say in Luke 1, it came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, the scribes here were just off, weren't they? But they're off with loads of things, by all accounts. Here, they're, they're off about everything because he's constantly rebuking them as being false prophets. However, the, Malachi 4 did talk about, obviously, Elijah coming before the second coming of Christ. But then we also see, and it also says in Malachi 3 about sending his messenger before him, you know, and we do see that he is coming in the spirit and power. We see in Luke chapter 1, where you've turned from verse 13, we're going to look, where the angel Gabriel appears to John's father, Zacharias, before he's born, John the Baptist, this is. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Malachi 4, 6, where we were, said, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. We've just seen to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. And the heart of the children to their fathers, we just saw in the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, which is, you could say the same thing. Lest I come and smite thee with a curse, it said in Malachi 4, 6. He said to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, that wasn't the only reason he was in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, he did come and he did come and turn the hearts of fathers to the children and the disobedient, we saw it, to the wisdom of the just. He did come and prepare, you know, that way of the Lord. But go back to Matthew 17, whilst I remind you of some of the comparisons that I did mention back in Matthew 11. So if you think, yeah, we've gone through this before. Yeah, we did. We talked about this in Matthew chapter 11. Well, I found these really interesting, so I'm going to repeat them again. Um, Elijah was described in 2 Kings chapter 1 and verse 8 as an hairy man and girt with a girdle of leather about his, about his loins. Matthew 3, 4 said of John, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins. Pretty similar, isn't it? Yeah, he he kind of went for the kind of camel hair stick on kind of one, you know, put on like the stick on hair. Maybe he just wasn't naturally hairy, you know. Whereas Elijah was just like this hairy kind of mothball type thing walking around. But anyway, first time 
we see Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 3. He's told, get thee hence and turn the eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherish that is before Jordan. And John's in the wilderness, isn't he? The first time we see him and his first real appearance was baptising in that river Jordan, wasn't it? Elijah is sustained by wild food from the mouth of the ravens. John's eating locusts and wild honey. Pretty wild food, that is. Elijah confronts and slays the prophet of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And John confronts, and you could say in a spiritual sense, slays the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 3, doesn't he? And he's just rebuking them and reproving them and everything else. Elijah preached hard against King Ahab. John preached hard against King Herod. King Ahab's wife Jezebel sought to slay Elijah. King Herod's wife Herodias sought to slay John. And look, you can, if you want, go in and read all this yourself. Read about Elijah if you want back in 1 Kings. Elijah had a low faith moment, didn't he, in 1 Kings 19 while being hunted by Jezebel. He's like basically saying that I'm ready to die. He's kind of, he feels that he's the only one. He's just like having this low moment. John had a low faith moment whilst in prison for Herodias' sake, didn't he? Elijah was given food and water to sustain him. John was given the spiritual food and water. Jesus sending the message about fulfilling prophecy, didn't he, to sustain him. The spirit and power of Elijah, for me, therefore, was the same basically rugged, wilderness dwelling, hard preaching, taking on kings, taking on religious rulers and the like. They were the same kind of prophet. I don't know how that works, spirit and power, but they were the same sort of prophet. This is what these guys were looking for, really, weren't they? Or bring children back to life or any of those miracles. But he kind of did it in a spiritual sense, didn't he? He was, I mean, he was, he, he even said, didn't he, when he first appears on the scene, he's talking about Jesus Christ coming to baptise with fire as well, doesn't he? And he's basically saying the fire's coming down on you. And he was basically preaching the gospel and giving life to children, wasn't he? But spiritual life. And, but he wasn't doing these miracles that Elijah did. But, but that's why here in Matthew 17, back to Matthew 17 and verse 11, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer them. Then the disciples understood that he spake unto them of John the Baptist. So look, whether it's spirit and power, whether Jesus just used that terminology to show that that's what it was, or whether it was Elijah somehow, you know, as John the Baptist, I don't know. But what's funny is that the scribes and everyone else were looking for, for Elijah's miracles, weren't they? They were looking for someone who was going to do all these amazing things and they missed the camel's hair wearing, leather belt wearing hard preacher who was in their face preaching, who had all these similarities, they just missed it, didn't they? They missed it. And what did they do? They did to him what they chose. And, and what, 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 you know, what's that about? Well, he was imprisoned, like we saw earlier in this, in this Gospel of Matthew, and eventually killed. He was beheaded. And it did say here, Jesus Christ said, he said, um, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. So we, we looked at it and we looked at how it happened because of Herodias and her daughter pleasing Herod. Then, he, you know, he said, you can have what you want. And she asked for the head of John the, John the Baptist in a charger. But it seems like it wasn't an unpopular choice for the multitudes, really. He's talking about they, or at least for the rulers, the leaders, at least, let's say, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes that he was rebuking in chapter 3. I would say at least for them, it wasn't an unpopular choice, was it? He said here, they have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. 
Okay, so look, these people, their leaders at least, this is what they wanted to do to John, that's what they did. So Jesus is saying that he's going to suffer similarly though, isn't he? So he says, this is what happened to John, I'm going to suffer in the same way. And verse 14 says, and when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, so we're moving on here, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. So his son is in a pretty bad way here, isn't he? So we've kind of, we're moving on now and this guy's come to him and they were, they've come to the multitude. They, this guy's come, he's kneeling down, he's worshipping him. He's just saying, look, like, have mercy on my son. He, he's, he's nuts, yeah, he's a complete lunatic. He's, he's basically, he said he's sore vexed, so he's just got all these troubles. He's, he's falling into the fire, into the water. I mean, he's out of control, isn't he? And this sounds crazy, doesn't it? Suicidal, or at least can't look after himself at all. He's like falling into fire, into water. He's, he's a lunatic. And, and you see these sorts of people sometimes stumbling around, don't you? You do see him. You see him out, if, you know, in towns. And, I, you know, I go up into central London a bit for work. And now and again, you know, we'll look out the window and go, what on earth, look at that one. And they're literally, you know, just walking, wandering down the road, shouting things out, doing just crazy, deranged things. These people are out there, aren't they? And, and I can imagine a lot of these guys are off without someone looking after them, probably die pretty early, don't they? A lot of these people. And, and what, what do we say? Or what does our world say? Well, it's mental health. Man, it's just that mental health, you know, that person who's just like stumbling around and crazy things, walking in front of cars in the traffic and, you know, all these other, it's just mental health, yeah. And, and usually they've, you know, we just happen to have a new terminology for it, which is so handy because at the same time there just happens to be a new drug for it as well that happens to fit that terminology. And like I've said many times, I think, from here before, because it kind of interested me that many years ago, it's all just some form of tranquilizer, isn't it? Just a different type of tranquilizer, just to numb someone. It's just, just to tranquilize them. And then we can just claim we've got a special tranquilizer that's just for that particular mental illness that we've just managed to work out. Oh, and we just happen to have a drug that was in the making for 15 years and we just happen to have come up with a new terminology for the latest kind of lunatic walking around doing crazed deranged things what was the cause of this guy's crazy behavior well verse 18 said it was a devil didn't it verse 18 said and Jesus rebuked the devil yeah so he he cast the devil out of him that was that was what was going on now you know, just, just to make it clear, it's not that everyone with any mental health problem is, is possessed by a devil. Because, again, you get like, you get, you get some idiots. You get some people that are just maybe new Christians and they see this and straight away, you know, a lot of people like black and white. Oh, to go, right, that must be it. Everyone who does anything, they must be possessed, you know. And, and then you've got the others that go the opposite way and go, oh, well, you know, that was back then. Now, that was like back in those days, you know. We don't have people possessed by devils now. I mean, that, well, that was just for Jesus to like do these. No, like, it's clearly devil possession, right? Because there's devil possession afterwards in the New Testament as well, uh, after Jesus Christ has gone, and, and we see that in the book of Acts as well. And, and there's, no, there's nowhere to say that, that being possessed by a devil has suddenly ended. Look, I've run into a lot of people possessed by devils. I have no doubt about it. I'm sure many here have been out soul winning and have been saved for a while and be, been around people. There's a lot of possessed people, aren't there? There's people, and these people, these nutters, you ever notice how they kind of focus on you? 
Have you ever noticed that? You mean walking down a road and there could be people everywhere and the nutter just starts looking at you when they walk past. And you're like, oh man, it's another devil. <laughs> and it's, at least we have the power of God. <laughs> you don't have to fear. But it's weird, isn't it? You get that weird stuff that come up to your car window sometimes or whatever it is. You just And these, these people are out there, aren't they? And look, it, again, there are those, yes, there are those that, that, it's not a devil, yeah, there are those that, that have some sort of, they've messed up their mind on, in one way or another sometimes, but I do believe there are a lot of people possessed. Now, what happens is you get people out and then go, no, 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 brother Ian, like, look, you've got, you've got mental health, and then what you're talking about is people that have, who are under the effects of drink and drugs. Because it must be one of the two, yeah? Because that's the rational answer. It can't be anything supernatural or spiritual because, you know, that wouldn't fit in with our, you know, our, our intellectual view of the world, right? So it must be the effect of drinking drugs. And, and, yeah, that is out there. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, there are some people that do some crazy stuff and drink drugs. Not really good advertisement for drugs, is it? I mean, hey, if you have some of it, have, have, have a few like bottles of this, you can look like you're possessed by a devil and do crazy things and be a, a, a complete risk to yourself and those around you. Take one of these, you know, have this pill or this powder or whatever else, and you can actually look like some deranged lunatic, sore vexed, oft times falling into the fire and the water and anything else dangerous, you know? Wanting to throw yourself off bridges and into the middle of the road unless whoever it is with you is trying to save you. You know, what a great lifestyle, yeah? But, but that's out there, isn't it? And, and, and there are people like that. And it is quite interesting as well that sometimes people that do a lot of drugs, sometimes not even a lot, some people that just do drugs do seem to permanently be possessed don't they, afterwards. And there are people that say that their whole mind went and people, you experience these people say it was after they got into this young. They got into this psychedelic type, type drug. Even be from smoking cannabis, young and some of the strong, different strains of cannabis out there and, and it messes their mind. And look, you look at these people and they act like they're possessed, don't they? And I don't know how that works and how you open yourselves up. I think when you're purposely doing things which are opening up your mind to these sort of things, it is highly dangerous. It's such a risky thing to do, isn't it? And so many people, they're gone from it. They're gone. And here we, I don't know what this, what this kid had done here. But Mark 9.18, when it talks about him, says, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want. But it's not, you know, I'm just quoting you this one verse. says, and wheresoever he taketh him, this is a parallel passage, he teareth him. Okay, this is talking about the devil inside him. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out and they could not. Imagine that. He's gnashing with his teeth. He's pining. He's pining. Kind of makes you think he's just like moaning, screaming out. He's foaming at the mouth. And they are out there, aren't they? We, we, we were walking down, oh, I went to a DIY shop in Wickford Town Centre today, and they're everywhere. I mean, you don't even bat an eyelid now. You're just kind of walking past someone and noticing someone else. It's like, you know, just everywhere. They're everywhere. It's crazy, isn't it? Foaming at the mouth, gnashing with their teeth. And this kid's. Yeah, you can see this probably isn't a good situation. You see why this guy fell down at Jesus' feet. He said, and I brought him to thy disciples, verse 16 in Matthew 17, and they could not cure him. 
Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Now, I've often read this, yeah, and thought that Jesus is reproving his disciples for not succeeding. He kind of, it kind of reads like that, doesn't it? It's like, they cannot cast him out. And he's like, you faithless and perverse generation. Because then he talks about it being a lack of faith, why they can't heal him. But he is answering the man whose son it is, isn't he? Because the guy said, and I brought him to thy disciples, they cannot cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Luke 9.41 says, and Jesus answering said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. So he's clearly talking to the guy, isn't he? And obviously that guy isn't a generation all on his own. So he's talking to the father, along with probably the multitude from verse 14, and maybe the disciples too. A generation's what? It's basically, uh, you know, it, it's not an age, it's a people living there at that time, okay? So it's not just like one age group. Oh, well, well I'm just talking to that guy. That guy's kind of like around whatever age, 30 years old. It's all like the sort of 20s to 40. You know, he's just talking about those people who are alive at that time. And they're that generation at that time. So, yeah, the disciples were unable to cast this devil out. Their, their faith was weak, okay? He does say that. However... It is a thing for the multitudes to have all of these devils in them. And there were a lot of devils. I mean, all we read about, Mark's gospel especially, it's just like devil cast out, devil cast out, devil cast out, devils, devils, Jesus casting out devils, casting out devils, casting out devils. I mean, it's not that they're just, oh man, just another, oh, that devil just got that one as well, he just got that one. I mean, for starters, they're not saved in the first place. Okay, they're not saved in the first place to get possessed by a devil. And they, that, that doesn't, it, that's impossible. Even before, look, you go, well, we wait a second, brother, because the indwelling of the Holy Spirit came at the end of Jesus' ministry and, and onwards from there once he breathed on them the Holy Ghost and, and after then, then people are getting saved and indwelt. Yeah, but, but for the Holy Ghost to come upon you at any point at all, you're not going to have the devil in you, are you? So for me, look, there is, and I, you don't see any example of someone being possessed by a devil in the Bible who's saved. So, firstly, these people aren't saved. And you could go, well, okay, brother, and yeah, the, the, the people ain't saved. What's your point? These are God's people. Well, these were the people that were committed the oracles of God, that had the word of God, that, that, that you know, they, they still understand and know. They're even talking about looking for Elijah to come. And all they, know, they know what the word of God says, yeah? They got the word of God. Okay, they should have gone out and preached it everywhere, far and wide, and some did. However... Look they, should, look, they shouldn't be in this situation. The vast, vast majority of them should be saved, really. Let alone, but, but it's, it's beyond that. Because it's like, oh, well, you're unsaved. You just, you know, you might watch out when you walk down the street because the devil might just jump into you. I, I don't see that. I, I don't believe that's what happens there. Because for me, you often see it being linked with things like sorcery, witchcraft, all these weird things. He said... He didn't just say they, they weren't saved. He said they were faithless. He said, and perverse. Perverse. What does perverse mean? It's turning aside, isn't it? They've turned aside. They're perverse. They've gone away from the things of God and just turned aside to wickedness, weirdness. 
being possessed isn't just one of those things. So they, they've turned to false gods, to idols, to witchcraft, to worshipping the, you know, the stars and the sun and all the hosts of heaven and all this weird stuff we're seeing throughout the Old Testament. And you get to this point where I think it was, was it something like about 400 years, isn't it? After that final prophecy of Malachi, when there's kind of silence and nothing, there's nothing from the word of God. These people are just, it's a complete mess. And Jesus Christ turns up on the scene and he's just casting devils out left, right and centre. Because really, I mean, this is a faithless and perverse generation. This is a wicked bunch. They've gone so far the other way where they've just turned completely aside. You know, and then from that, the, the ones left, like we said before, he's cast out all these devils and then he says, look, you know, you, cast them out, clean the house, they don't get saved, and it's like seven even more wicked ones come in, and that's why what we have left of like the kind of spiritual seed of these people is just pure wickedness, absolute wickedness. And, and when we look at what goes on in the world and the filth and just, just people behind it, it's pure wickedness, isn't it? But at this point, they're kind of getting a chance. He's casting out the devils, they have that chance, but they don't take it, do they? They don't take it. So... But what a state, what a state it had become, yeah. So Jesus says it, said it straight. And he said, then Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Because this is a pretty extreme devil, this one, isn't it? You know, this one's just trying to murder this guy, you know, in one way or another. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Okay, so when he said, how long shall I suffer you? The answer, by the way, in case you're wondering, isn't long. <laughs> It's not long at all because he says in Matthew 21, 43, therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Okay, so he doesn't suffer them much longer. Okay, but he still gives them this chance. So verse 18 says, And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and a child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. So it could almost seem like a contradiction here. You could read this and be like, well, he's just said it's because of your unbelief. If you had a little faith, because that's what he's talking about, mustard seed being a very small seed. If you just had a small amount of faith, you can move whole mountains. And then he says, however, this kind of devil needs prayer and fasting. So you're like, well, which one is it? I mean, what's he talking about? He just said it's because of that. But, but actually, you need to pray and fast. Well, what's the point he's making here? The point is, if you had just a little faith, you would have been praying and fasting. That's the point. If you just had a small amount of faith, just that little amount, you would have seen this guy gone, we're not casting him out, and you would have prayed and fasted. That's what he's saying. And look, his disciples were saved, but they were lacking the faith required to do big things for God, to move mountains. And look, if we have that faith, we, we, would, be in, we would be in prayer for things, wouldn't we? If we really had faith that he could do the things that God can do, we'd be praying for those things. And in fact, we would also be fasting for those things. Be like, okay, I know it's not, oh, my prayer didn't get answered. Oh, probably, you know, that promise was probably wrong. Or must be this, must it? Well, have you tried fasting for it? And look, I've preached on fasting before, and you know, I'm not going to preach on it again in this sermon, but look, 
There's no reason not to fast. You, you don't, oh man, I, I know. Do I have to do a 40 day fast? No, you, you couldn't do a 40 day fast. Do, you? Do, do I have to do a week? No, you don't. You could, do, you could do half a day if you wanted. Miss a meal and pray to God. Miss two meals, make it a day. Do a 24 hour. 24 hour fast is good. Hey, look, it, it's, it's not that hard. You try and do it. But even a daytime one, daytime one is a good one. Just fast, fast and pray. And, and when you've got things, that, hard things in your life, look, we all go through stuff, don't we? And fasting is a good thing to do. You deny the flesh, and I've preached on it before. I think I'd preached on it in the Gospel of Matthew anyway, back in maybe Matthew, maybe six, six, I think, or five. Have a look um, if, if you, you know, get a recap on that. And there, there are some, you know, some good principles with fasting, but yeah for, for doing big things for god you know it's a good idea prayer prayer and fast if you have that little bit of faith he's saying you would have done that yeah <clears throat> so just an interesting point here though notice who didn't have to pray and fast to remove him jesus christ because he's god okay he didn't have to pray and fast he just rebuked the devil and kicked him out okay he's not like, oh man i better get down and start all right guys give me a day no he, he does what he, his will is done okay and that's what he did, he removed that devil. Okay, verse 22 says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Now, they were exceeding sorry because they didn't understand it fully. Okay, verse, uh, again, you don't have to turn it. Mark 9, 32 says, But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Okay, so again, this is just a parallel passage, and it's showing that they understood. Were, they, sorry, they did. They understood not that saying, but were afraid to ask him. Here we've seen they were exceeding sorry because they're not really understanding it. It's not that oh, well, one says they didn't hear what he said. No, they did hear. They didn't understand it. That's why they're exceeding sorry because they don't understand the reality of it all and what an amazing thing he's doing. And of course, we saw uh, we saw Peter rebuke him in the chapter before for talking about it. In the previous chapter, and you can look back there, Matthew 16, after telling them that the gates of hell shall pr not prevail against him, which is what it's talking about, it says in Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So he said it the chapter before, isn't he? We've seen this. So he's showing them, explaining it to them. Why are they not getting it then? Why are they not understanding it? Because he showed them, he's talked about it, he's given one idea, then he's, then he's showing to, unto his disciples. Then we see him talk about it here in verse 22 and 23, where it said, the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry, and we saw that they understood it not. That's why they're exceeding sorry. They don't understand what it, you know, really what that's going to entail. Why? And... We often don't take in what we don't want to, do we? That's the kind of truth of life. Someone can explain stuff to you. Look, you can hear preaching from the pulpit about stuff, and when it comes to something that you don't really want to apply to your life, you don't really want to be true, you often just kind of switch off, don't you? It's kind of like a defence mechanism we do a lot of the time. If we don't want something to be true, kind of just switch off to it and kind of hear it in a different way don't really get the full picture because you don't kind of really want to either and subconsciously you don't want it so you switch off to it i mean they're having a good time with you you can see why yeah they're having a good time with jesus christ oh this is amazing we've got like you know god here 
hanging out with us, teaching us all these things, going around doing amazing things. Uh, uh, you can imagine them. I don't really like the idea of him dying there. I don't, I don't even know what he's talking about. Dying and, you know, and the rest of it. We want him here for a bit longer, being delivered into the hands of men. Now, bear in mind, obviously, they, they, they do understand the gospel enough at this point, whatever that amount they need, you know, people understood at this point to be saved. No, they did understand. These were saved people, but they're just not kind of putting it all together in terms of, well, at this point, he's going to fall. Maybe in their mind, they're like, he's going to live a whole life and then he's going to die. They, you know, whatever it is, they don't really want it. They don't want him to go, do they? They don't want Jesus Christ to go. Now, there's another point as well. Because we can often read the Gospels and we can get a bit, you know, because Christians, are, look, people are like this. You read it and just be like, what's up with them? And you could kind of sometimes mock a bit. Sometimes you could probably get a bit like, well, I would have done that. I would have said that. I, but they didn't have the indwelling Holy Ghost, did they? Okay? They didn't have the indwelling Holy Ghost at this point. It's right at the end after Jesus Christ comes back in his glory after he's raised from the dead that, he's, that, that he then breathes unto them the Holy Ghost. So until at this point, they don't, they're not indwelt, are they? So you can understand that a lot of this stuff is just kind of going over the head. However, what happens? Well, John 14, 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, we obviously apply that to ourselves, but a lot of this, I think, then applied to them, didn't it? So these things which have been said, maybe that's starting to come back to them as well because of the Holy Ghost, because the Holy Ghost is in there. But for us, obviously, that applies, doesn't it? And we do have the Holy Ghost. So when we're reading these things, little things when you're studying start popping in your mind and you start thinking about a verse and you think, yeah, I remember Jesus said this or this is said here or there or something else. And, and, and the Holy Ghost brings to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Well, if you don't read your Bible, you don't hear the Bible read, you don't hear the Bible preached, you're not studying your Bible, you're not doing any of that, especially, and even memorising it as well makes it even easier, then you're not really going to bring to remembrance whatsoever he said to you. But when you are, and you're in your Bible, and you're reading your Bible, and you're living the Bible, the Holy Ghost does bring to your remembrance. And it's not just, oh, well, just so I know, you know, I can understand that doctrine. Look, doctrine is important, yeah? And yeah, we want to understand doctrine, but, but look, this is a, in a practical sense as well. How often do you make a decision in life? And, and, you know, if you're reading your Bible, you're in your Bible, you're in the Word of God, you want to hear the Word of God, you want to know what's said, something will come in your mind. Some verse, maybe you're counselling some, maybe it's for someone else. Maybe you're trying to help someone with something and a verse will come in your head, which, which helps to, to, you know, to, to counsel them or helps you to make a decision in your life. Maybe it's about some sin. Maybe it's something you're about to do and just a little verse pops in your head. Or maybe it's part of a verse. Maybe it's just a little idea of part of that verse. You start looking for it and it helps you. And that, that's, that's the Holy Ghost bringing to your remembrance whatsoever he said to you. But if you don't read your Bible, well, you're missing out on a whole, whole load of words that he said unto you that you haven't even heard yet, yeah? So obviously message from that is read your Bible. Verse 24 says, and when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, doth not your master pay tribute? Now these are tax collectors. They collect on behalf of the occupying Romans. However, it seems that most of these guys are, you know, kind of are of the region, you know, they're kind of natives there that are just doing this. Not a very popular job for the Romans, are they? 
And, and it doesn't seem like it's probably income based. There's probably just like a flat rate. So you've got tax collectors in a region probably just saying, right, look, you've got to pay this amount. Each kind of the normal people have to pay this. Maybe people in a higher echelon of society maybe pay more. I don't really know how it works. But there's something they have to pay. Yeah? It's tribute money. This is what occupying armies, etc., do. And, you know, some could argue that we pay a tribute rate in our nation and probably around the world to the occupying forces that are kind of behind the shadows. But, you know, that's probably another sermon for another day. Verse 25 says, he saith, yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. So, I mean, this story of this tax collector has said basically, he's like, you know, forget all that salvation stuff, you know. He's like, forget all that, all that healing of devils being cast out. Where's the cash? Yeah, he's like just hitting them up for cash. So you've got Jesus Christ walking around, yeah? He's like preaching the gospel, he's healing people, he's doing all these amazing miracles, all this stuff, and this guy's like, where's the money? Where's the... He must have known what was going on. It's in Capernaum. It's not like he's just gone somewhere completely random, yeah? But it's like, right, where's the cash, yeah? Does not your, does not your master pay cash? You know, this Christ fella, you know, this is the anointed one, where's the money? You know, I know people like that, aren't they? So that doesn't really matter, you know, what, what, what it is that you're coming to them with, it's like, well, what about the cash? What about the money? I remember um, uh, th there's a guy I used to know many years ago, and uh, he was an old coach of mine, and, um, and we were catching up a little while ago on, on a, you know, uh, WhatsApp, like, voice notes, yeah? <clears throat> and I was telling him what I was doing, and... You know, and I've tried to preach him the gospel before, and I was saying, yeah, you know, blah, 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 this is okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so tell me, does it pay well? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> like, for him, it's just like, forget all that. Where's the money? You know, what, what is it like, so, does it pay well? I was like, no. <laughs> and, and, and anyway, you know, how about we talk about the gospel as well? But that's a lot of people like that. This guy, this tax collector, is just like, where's the cash? Why haven't you paid your tribute, Jesus? You know, I mean, people are like that, aren't they? It's just, that's all they care about. It's just, everything's about money. It always just comes back to money with so many people, doesn't it? That's all they really want to talk about. That's all they're interested in. So, okay, so, Peter automatically says yes here, doesn't he? He says yes. But it doesn't seem like Jesus Christ has been paying tribute or has paid tribute. He's like, does not your, he's just like, yep. It's like, kind of like the automatic lie, isn't it? And he's just kind of feeling, oh, yeah, yeah, of course he does, yeah. And, and obviously this is wrong, yeah, okay? And, and look, Jesus Christ hasn't been paying tribute to any of these guys. We don't see any mention of that. And then Jesus gives Peter a lesson here, doesn't he? So he's like, yes. And then Jesus kind of says to him, well, think of our Simon, yeah? So, and then he says, basically, I believe this is what he's saying, okay? And, you know, this is my, how I see this. He's basically saying, Look, like, you're children of God, okay? The, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, right? None of us owe tribute, we're free. Obviously, Jesus Christ, but I think he's given a lesson to him. Because he says to him, he says, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take customer tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Well, who's the King of Kings? Who, who, do, do, we, do we owe tribute, really? No. Yeah, we're, we're of God. We're God's children. Yeah, we're not like, like these occupying clowns. We don't owe them anything. Okay, that's what he's saying here. He's like, he says, he says, of whom do they take? He says, he says, of strangers. He says, then are the children free? Because really, we're children of God, aren't we? 
like it's God, we're God's children. We don't, we don't owe them anything, okay? We don't have to pay tribute. However, however, we don't want to upset them and cause unnecessary trouble, so he then says to, to pay them, basically. Okay, he says, however, so as not to cause offence. And, and with that, turn to 1 Peter 2, because, look, kind of a good kind of end here, because no one likes paying taxes to wicked governments. Yeah? And it can be a bit sickening some. And you know, like, I don't know if anyone, I don't know if they do that when you're on the payroll. I've been self-employed for many years. When you do a self-employed tax return, they kind of give you a breakdown of where, like, kind of, and it's only general of where the money goes to. And the whole thing is just a bit sickening. It's a bit sickening. Because, really, they're well beyond their remit. They're way out of... I mean, really, they should be there to protect us from occupying forces to, to keep law and order. I mean, what else is really a government for? And there should be local areas, really, just dealing with local issues. I don't need some big government, let alone some massive European government. I know that was, you know, unpopular for other reasons, but the whole thing is just an absolute joke, isn't it? Yeah? All these people, like nameless bureaucrats just running things. It's just a, it's a mess, yeah? It's a mess. And no one likes paying to these people because you just, it's just sickening. And then when you see what they're all up to and the perversion and the weirdness and all the oh, just, just... Like where half the money goes, and you're like sponsoring all just this just craziness, and you just and and then, and they hit you for a lot of money, <laughs> and it, and and it's a bit disappointing, isn't it? It's a bit bit annoying. Okay, so, but here's a question: Does anyone think that this Roman government, this Roman government here, was a righteous government? Anyone think that? Anyone think? Well, yeah, but you know, back then, you know, those Romans, they they were like good. These were like a bunch of pagan, false god worshipping weirdos as well, running around in togas and the rest of it. A bunch of, it's, it's all the same, is it? All just, look. Does anyone think the money was going to good causes? Anyone, anyone think that tribute money they were paying, that it was just all, it was all, there's no corruption. None of those tax collectors were siphoning any off. None of the local governors were taking their own cut of it. You know, it was all just going to good causes. It was all going to those lovely Roman roads. I bet, I, look, I bet there were some nice Roman roads in Rome and around the place, but I bet, I bet they were still on... They were probably looking at potholes. <laughs> Do you know how much I paid this year? It's like, look, I just walked into a pothole. Just sprained my camel's ankle. <laughs> like, what on earth, you know? They probably just they, they probably went through similar issues like we do. We're just like, what are you even spending our money on, you know? And then you know the, I don't know. They probably didn't have cyclists, but they had something similar who were just like loving it. Probably not even having to pay anything, were they? And you know, they, they probably all had their gripes and their complaints, didn't they? Okay, but Romans, you, you, you're turning to where are you turning? Romans thirteen, yeah. Well, Romans. Oh, sorry, now you're turning to first, first Peter 2, aren't you? Okay, uh, while you turn to first, well, you've probably already turned. I'm just going to quote a couple of verses. Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. So we want to try and live peaceably with all men. He just said, lest it offend them, okay? The, the, uh, Romans 13, verse 7 says, Render therefore to all their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Okay, the Bible's very clear. So as much as we hate this stuff, and we do, okay, it's annoying. There, there are a bunch of like, you know, all sorts. You just, where's this money even going? However, we are told to pay it, aren't we? Okay, we are told to pay it. 
1 Peter 2.11 helps us to understand why. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation, a conversation here is behaviour, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He then goes on to say, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Look, they want to criticise you, okay? They want to find fault. They love to find fault in a Christian. They want to find... Look, they're going to speak against you as an evildoer anyway, okay? Verse 12 said that even though, basically, having your conversation on it, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. The better you live, the more chance people that right now you're thinking, they don't even want to hear the gospel, okay? They don't even, they're not interested, they're not even interested at all. But that same person, when they're just watching you live right, change your life, you're, you're paying your taxes, you're, you're, you're obeying the laws of the land, you're living how God wants us to live, not causing offence, just being a good citizen of the land, within where those rules, those laws don't contradict the laws of God, obviously, okay? They may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So there is going to be a time, hopefully, when they're going to hear the gospel, and maybe they're going to be more receptive because of seeing you and your good works, just seeing you as an example. Look, we don't take it as far as these wicked clown churches that don't want to preach the gospel and just talk about lifestyle evangelism and don't actually do anything, okay? That's wicked, yeah? That's just, you're just disobeying the commandments of first, the first command, the first works, yeah? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. However, there is such thing as lifestyle evangelism, yeah? And those people that are around us a lot who don't really want to hear it from us, we want them, we don't want them to go, yeah, so-called Christian, look at him. Look at him just cheating the system. Look at him just scamming money on the side, doing this. Look at him just swerving all his taxes because they want anything. They take anything. Uh, look, we, many of us have experienced it. People are just trying to look for anything. They're trying to find something to bring you down with. And that's one of the things they'll go for. He said in verse 15, this is the will of God. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay, so our well-doing, our just living right, living life, how God wants us to live it, where possible, where it doesn't, where we're not breaking any laws of God by living according to the laws of the land, which the vast majority of the laws of the land aren't against God, okay, then we, we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free. So remember, we saw that. We're free, aren't we? We are free. Okay, we're children of God and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Okay, so our liberty in God isn't, oh, well, I can just get away and not do anything. Okay, we want to be free and beyond reproach. He said, honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. So we should give respect to all, love each other, fear God. And you could say, and pay your taxes. Yeah, honour the king really for me. That includes paying your dues, you know, to that, to that leader, whoever it is of your land. 
Okay, he said, in, go back with that in mind to, to Matthew 17 and verse 27, where he said, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto them for me and thee. Anyone fancy a spot of fishing this weekend? <laughs> Sounds good that, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it might not happen for us, but I believe the point here, I don't know, I'm, I'm, look, there's probably a load of stuff maybe that, that's there that I haven't seen, but the point here is, look, for me, when you're following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly, yeah, you're just like, these are like, the, he's talking to the inner circle, he's talking to Peter, he's just come and seen him in his glory, he's inviting him up there, he's one of, you know, along with James and John, he's like the inner circle, Andrew kind of flits in and out a little bit. And, and when you're one of those, you're that close to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you're following Jesus Christ, okay, so that, that's not, oh, well, I follow Jesus Christ, I just read my Bible every day, I go to church, I soul win, I don't need to go to work, I'm just going to go fishing. Yeah, I'm going to go fishing and I'm going to find some money. You're going to be disappointed, okay? Because God did say, if a man does not work, neither shall he eat, okay? So, look, God's going to provide for us. However, following God does include being diligent in your work and everything else. But I think the point is that when you do do all of that, he, he, look, he will provide for you. And he does, doesn't he? When we put him first and we do the things of God and we're doing what he wants in there, obviously they're in full-time ministry, these guys, okay? But he, they've been called into that, haven't they? So it's not like we're not all just called to just like jack in our jobs, family, good luck to you, I'm just going to go soul winning nine hours a day and God will provide, you know? Look, I don't think that's, that's, that's what we're seeing here. We are seeing his 12 disciples called here but for all of us, when we put him first, we do the things of God and we're still diligent and we still, you know, we know the state of our flocks and we're not just being, you know, we're not being bad stewards of what he gives us and everything else, then he will provide for us. And he does provide for us. And many of us, you know, I, look, I've talked about this before and I will do a sermon on this at some point for everyone else is good. But tithing's a great example. Sometimes I've tithed when I'm thinking, I don't even know if I can't really afford to tithe. And he just, things just work out. They work out. Sometimes church, you're like, I can't really afford to take that day off to go church or not, you know, whenever it is. But things just work out, don't they? Because God provides when you put him first. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, because we're just going to finish off there with that in mind. We just saw him saying, lest we should offend them. Then he says, basically, go into sea and I'm just going to give you some money. I'm going to provide for you, Peter, so that you can pay for us so that we don't upset them, so we do as we're meant to do and be good citizens and not offend those people so we can carry on doing the things of God without having all these other trumped up charges against us. Matthew 6 verse 31 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father, knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, that's a, a key point here. The kingdom of God and his righteousness isn't just, I believe, getting saved. This is basically, and, and, and this whole sermon is to the saved, I believe, as well. He's basically saying, seek the things of God, living right. Part of his righteousness, by the way, is going to work, is being, is being diligent, is getting up early, is doing the things of God, is being a hard worker and everything. Do those things, work for God, live for God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the more, for the more should take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And he's basically saying you don't have to worry. When you do the things of God, when you're living how God wants you to, you're living diligently, 
But that's not focusing on cash. That's not when all you can think about is money and how you can get this money and how you can get that money and everything else. That's not living for God. That's not having God at the centre of your life. But if, you're, if, you're, if, if your motivation is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, for me, look, he's going to provide what we need. But that includes living by the laws of land, yeah? Okay. Um, not popular, that sort of thing, but that's the truth, isn't it? That's what the word of God says. So on that, let's pray. Father, thank you um, for, for a great, uh, just a great chapter in the Bible there, some great messages there, some great lessons we can learn from that chapter. I hope that I've reached that um, clearly today. And, um, uh, you know, I hope that everyone here has taken on board what you wanted them to take on board today, Lord. Um, uh, we, we pray that everyone gets home safely, that manages to stay warm in, in what's going to be some cold temperatures now, stay safe as well on the roads. And, Lord, that we... Um, that, that um, you know, all the people that aren't here are able to be well enough and able to get here on the weekend, that we all return um, on Sunday for another day in your house. And in Jesus' name, pray all of this. Amen.